Oh, what up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. Coming back. Although not back. Just continue continuation of the weekly Cronus cast. At this point, um, you get them when you get them. Yeah. No more we're backs. It's just we're here and you guys are it. You just get them. Yeah, we're present. Whatever else they say in yoga class, mindfulness, it's us. We are all that is. What's up? Um, as always, this week's episode is brought to you guys by 10,000. Use the code Chronos for 15 for 15% off. Make sure you check out the tactical short, which I'm actually wearing today. Very, very great short. Love the short. Um, they are sponsoring and using some of the proceeds from the sale of the tactical short this month to, to fund the scholarship. So if you haven't already, grab a pair of sweet shorts and check them out. And if you haven't already, apply. Uh, you've awesome. got a little over a month to get those applications in, and then we will announce the winner right now. We've got uh, scholarships uh, valued at $2,500. Based on how many we give get in, uh, we could give more out, and vice versa. If a lot of people don't apply, then the scholarships are just going to go up, 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 up. So uh, it's essentially free money. It just requires you to put in a little bit of effort to say why you want to be a, a Cronus Scholar and uh, be a good person. How much money was that again, Sean? $2,500 per scholarship. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Yeah, $2,500. Which, if you're thinking, like, what can that get you? That'll get you a rower and an assault bike at today's prices. Oh, no, you get more than that. You get, like, a rower and a skier and an assault bike. Oh, my God, the trifecta. Uh, Speaking of of CrossFit-related things... A lot of CrossFit teams are getting booted from this year's games, and we haven't even gotten there because their athletes are popping hot for a whole bunch of banned substances. I I thought we were over this like three years ago with Ricky Gerard. So what's going on? Have you followed this? Do you know what drugs they're taking that are just like the new SARMs that nobody's, you know, gotten a hold of yet? I think a lot of them are testing positive for SARMs. Um, I don't really, honestly, don't really follow the the drug testing announcements. I think it's just kind of dumb. Uh, but I think a couple of them have popped like Endurable or GW, whatever it is. Uh, I don't understand how people can make excuses for popping hot if if Division One athletes aren't popping hot. How are you going to say you're a pro athlete? And this is why I think CrossFit is just kind of not going to be as popular as it was back with the rich froning days because you want to say it's a professional sport these people are popping hot more than like the mlb with mark mcguire's era it's unreal yeah i you know they, they always say like you know for like uh drug tests are pretty much like intelligence tests and if you are juicing you know it's very easy to cycle off before you go to competition especially at crossfit like there's only they only pay for like you know, the top of the top, like your podium level athletes to get randomly tested throughout the year. That's a very, very small percentage of people. So theoretically, like you could juice all year and then cycle off like a month before you show up to competition, crush competition, test, you know, pass your test and then continue the rest of the year and the rest of the competition cycle. So like, you know, I think it's kind of a, on that aspect, you know, I think people that, a lot of people that do test positive, it's probably some aspect of like uh, supplement content, like supplement contamination, or you know, not pure supplements that people are taking. Also, just like you know, cro- I think CrossFitters also have like a um, a propensity to do like the trendy kind of new age, like you know, micro boutique supplement companies and supplements, um, which you know, 
from the supplement industry, it's all on, all unregulated, and for the most part, unless it's like a large supplement company, something like you know, like a GNC brand or whatever, all their supplements are coming from a large plant that many that grows grows like mass produces every supplement ranging from you know your vitamins to proteins to actual performance enhancing drugs. Um, usually come from China or other like India or some other um, Eastern Asian country where Contamination is a real possibility, especially, you know, these facilities aren't cleaning their equipment between batches. You know, it just takes a little bit of contamination to to essentially contaminate an entire batch of protein or what have you. So, you know, as far as that goes, I also don't, you know, um, have sympathy for the CrossFit athletes because, you know, you, you know, are, if you say you're a professional athlete, you should probably pay the actual like five or 10 bucks it is for the safer sport uh, supplements, things like, you know, um, like C4, Safer Sport, like all like the bigger companies that are safe for sport, which are, you know, third-party tested to ensure they're not contaminated. Um, but, you know, you have like athletes that try to like uh, get these sponsorships from these like, you know, boutique sp- supplement companies that want to like push the envelope and say, ooh, look at this like supplement. It's good for like my adrenal health and like my overall mood and stuff. But it's like my recovery, you know. Well, it's like the people that are surface level knowledge based where they will throw out those big scientific words. And it's the what's that paradigm? Like the less, you know, the smarter you think you are, the more. Yeah, you know. Dunning-Kruger. And it's exactly that point. And they will they will constantly quote all of these health effects of whether they're plant based diet or it's essentially you've watched one or two documentaries and you think you're smarter than the system. And what I totally dislike every single year whenever we deal with one of these athletes popping is the excuses ricky gerard i think came out and said yeah i was on it i mean i think (laughs) he gets caught during the behind the games or whatever the annual crossfit movie is his brother's like handing him a vial of, of like the sarms like it was right there but these people saying oh i was eating horse meat in iceland i had no idea You've got to be incredibly thick to think anyone is going to go, oh, that, that checks out. Yeah, yeah, let them back in the competition. We're good to go. Yeah, because it was a, uh, Olympic at, like Olympic athlete. The, I forget her name. She was like the modern pentathlete. Um, she tested positive for something and then blamed it on a pork burrito. Did you hear about that? No. A pork burrito? Yeah, let me, uh, let me Google real fast. Um, That's an awful excuse. What what is a pork? Is it is it? It's carnitas, right? That's the yeah, carnitas. Yeah, Shelby Carn- Houlihan. She is an Olympic runner. What does she run? Let me think. Uh, Was she like a three k steeplechase person? No, she in twenty sixteen was a runner up in the five k. So pretty legit, like you know, a legit runner. But she said that she. Uh, uh, tested positive for steroids uh, and blamed it on pork burrito that she ate. For all these athletes that have popped hot, if you're listening to this, please let me know what supplement you're using so I can pay like pennies on the dollar for whatever you're juicing off of. Whatever street vendor you're getting your tacos from that's giving you the extra juice, give that to me as well. I will, I will door dash that to myself every single day than like risk ordering it from China, Russia, Hungary, wherever, you know, the illegal drugs are coming from that are 
making people big, jacked, fast, and lean. I, it just makes no sense. Yes, I, I uh, popped hot because I took this from the generic whey protein that I have. Oh, my wow. God. She, tes- she tested positive for nandrolone. <laughs> and some of these drugs that they pop hot for, Bobby clearly just referenced one. You can barely pronounce them. So why the hell do yeah. you think somebody's going, you know what, every fifth bottle, throw in some Rad 140 or some Carterine. Let's just mix it up. Give people an extra boost. Like, this is like getting two packs of Skittles in your MRE at Ranger School. You lucked yeah. out. Yeah, like, uh, Nandrolone's a legit steroid. Um, but she's claiming that uh, she ate a pork burrito 10 hours before the drug test. And she says the pork burrito had organ meat in it, so she's claiming that that is causing, uh, is that's what's caused her to pop positive, which, you know. Was, wasn't there a redhead CrossFit Games athlete that had engaged in some, uh, you know, couples relations yeah, the night prior yeah, 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 and, yeah. and blamed it on that? That's uh, Emily Abbott, Abbott, is that everything right? Yes, she like kind of like a couple the, years, that was a couple years hippie, ago. Yes, yeah, it just makes it's just stupid. I the uh, again, if you think someone's gonna fall for that, you've got another thing coming. I want to hear good excuses. When I hear an excuse like that, I'm gonna think that you're lazy for taking the drug because you couldn't make it, and that you were too lazy to come up with a decent excuse. If you got a decent excuse, I'll buy it. Like, I'll be all for it, but not not anything less than. Yeah, I'll say, like, uh, honestly, you know, all these excuses about, like, tainted supplements, probably legitimate, like, maybe the people were taking tainted supplements, but, you know, at the end of the day, I have zero sympathy for taking tainted supplements, because if you're a professional athlete, you should hold yourself to that standard and take supplements that are one tested and two, um, you know, don't expose you to p- the potential of, like, a, you know, f- positive test, because that's your livelihood, so, you know, if you have to think twice about, like, the supplement you're taking is, like, sketchy or not, probably shouldn't take it and then the worst ones are like the ones that like contain that like uh claim like they ate something that was contaminated uh which you know makes me laugh uh what was the one crossfit athlete that like te- said that she the horse meat right yeah the horse meat. horse meat they, i think they visited iceland or something and people were like that that totally makes sense uh which doesn't i mean it's just again it's really lazy i hmm it's just frustrating. Own it. Just yeah. own it. Own it, and then just dominate the competition. Like, yeah. we talked about it last week. But if I'm gonna watch someone that's juiced, I want to watch them win and win by a mile. I don't even want it to be close until we start locking down whatever level of testosterone you're you're allowed to have in your body at a certain level. Because there's some incredible performances out there. Oh, speaking of incredible performances, uh, Jan Ferdino today broke the Ironman world record of seven minute, seven hours and 30 minutes uh, for the full Ironman. Um, dude did a 727, which is just like utterly insane. Put that in normal people numbers, like pacing-wise. In, in normal people numbers, he did the 2.4-mile swim... I think he did it in like 50 minutes. He did a 112-mile bike in under four hours, so like 25, 30 miles an hour. And then he ran his marathon, I want to say in like 3.30-ish. I had um, sub-three marathon. Oh, sorry. 
no, sub three. Sorry, not not three thirty ish. Yeah, uh, like two thirty something. I think. Um, just absolutely monster. This guy's got a gold medal from like the 08, I think Beijing Olympics in, tri- in triathlon, and then is the two or three time, you know, full distance Ironman world champion, two times seventy point three champion. Lionel Sanders uh, did like a seven forty two. Uh, it was it was like a big rivalry battle of the tries type thing that they ran over in Germany, but, uh, like incredible performances today. But, you know, that's one of those things, you know, like if those guys are doing it, um, and they're getting tested and, and they're getting away with it, if they are, or if they aren't like CrossFit games, athletes just be better, be best. Yeah. But it's just like, uh, you know, for those athletes, if they were like juicing, they're probably juicing with like the state of the art, you know, the newest of the new designer drugs whereas like the crossfit athletes are probably too uh you know don't have the money and the funding behind them to to get the, the high class stuff and you're stuck with like you know the known ones but even yeah, then they're not, like they're not getting the dolph Lundgren treatment from rocky four yeah but even then like it's just like uh you know it is literally like intelligence test passing a drug test for something like crossfit because it is literally you get tested only when you show up a competition unless you're, you know, one of like 20 people in the world that get randomly tested throughout the year. Right. Cause you're consistently really good. Yeah. And even Speak. then it's like, I hear that's like very easy to, to fake that. They're not even, it's not even WADA or USADA. It's like some random company that does it. Yeah. They don't party. go through that either, which is like a, if you, if you want people to take you seriously and think you're legit against this, just use the same company that tests every other professional sporting athlete out there. Yeah. Like USADA is pretty crazy. Like listening to some of the pro clubs for USADA, like if you're in this you're the USADA testing pool, you have to let them know your schedule within like hour blocks, and then they have to you have to be able to be there to like appear within like ten minutes of where they're or something like that from when they show up. Yeah, so if like, they notify you if you have like I think it's twenty four hours. So when twenty four hours you don't get that sample and you're like popped. Yeah, it's essentially like a positive drug test. Reminds me of, like, the one time that was it Serena Williams, like, for a USADA test, like, was really shady. She, like, called the cops on this person because she thought it was, like, a, like, a, uh, like, someone trying to burglar break into her house or something like that. Did you hear the story? I didn't know. It was, like, some weird story of how, like, she, like, went to, like, a panic room in her house and, like, called, like, the cops on this, like, on the USADA trying to drug test her or something. <laughs> on the person just super sketchy with a, with a vial. Yeah. Yeah. Super sketchy, but, you know, who knows? Oh, speaking of sketchy, how about the lieutenant colonel in civil affairs that had, what, two or three families going on on the side? Uh, some decorated dude wasn't in the 75th at one point, you know, spent most of his time in soft, quote unquote, as a civil affairs officer. Uh, that I know that story broke earlier this week. And for those that haven't seen, you can go read up on it. But that's... Uh, that's making the guys in seventh group look really JV with, you know, having uh, extramarital affairs and families outside of the country. Yeah, you know, there are going to be dirtbags wherever you look, but, um, yeah, I don't really have a good take on it. It's just like people are just dirtbags. They're going to be dirtbags either way. Yeah, I just thought that was a that was an interesting story that uh, had come up. But on cooler and better and positive news, you went camping uh yesterday saw some photos um 
what do you take out with you when you go out there? Because I, you've got a great truck that gets you out there. But I saw like a, you know, you put up like a grill. You had your tent. Like, what do you bring out? What do you cook? Um, do you generally leave your truck and go hiking, or what's up with that? So I will say that you know we haven't gotten super into the woods, figuratively and liter- and literally, <laughs> in terms of uh, like backpack hiking and things like that. That's kind of the, the next step that we're trying to get out to. Um, but w- this last week on Friday, we just drove out to like Rainier Park, like a campgrounds, and uh, brought everything in the truck bed and just camped out the truck essentially. Uh, but we had the tent. Uh, they actually had like grill, like a fire pit uh, in the state park. In the state parks, so we use the, just use their fire pit. You brought some wood, some fire stuff, some food, and brought the Yeti, you know. So do you just like, keep everything in like a, a big cooler and then you just take it out and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had a, you know, a little glamping as, as I like to call it. Uh, not quite backpacking, camping yet. Uh, but I think we're, that's on our to-do list. Um, probably this next month or next month and a half or so before it starts getting cold. Um, just start doing some backpack hikes and then camping out of the backpack, which is not a whole, whole other skill. Honestly, the entire time, it kind of, I was just flashing back to ranger school and like some random shit ranger school. I was like, I cracked a chem light. I was put on top of a tent. I was like, wait, why am I cracking a chem light to put on a tent? <laughs> I thought it like, was, why am I uh, doing this? I thought it was like a really sweet, uh, setup for people that want to go glamping. Um, you know, again, there's so many activities that you can do out there and there's ways to do it where you're not dropping, you know, thousands of dollars. We say oh, the yeah. same thing on fitness programming, but you can get a two to a four person tent for 150 bucks, mm-hmm. uh, hundred bucks used the grill stuff. You can get basic pots and pans, but you have a cast iron, which I saw you guys cook some bread in, um, other than the gas to get up there and then, you know, a basic sleep mat. And, and if you're in the military, you know, take your sleeping pad with you and you can use that and use what the military gives you. Just don't use your ruck. That's the only thing I'm going to ask when you go hiking and camping, don't bring your ruck out. I saw someone hiking one time in the Grand Canyon with it and I wanted to just push them off the ledge because <laughs> it that that is going a step beyond. That's yeah, like wearing a grunt style t-shirt. Yeah. But um yeah, we've gotten a lot more in outdoor stuff. Like last earlier this year, we went, um, we rented an RV and like drove around kind of Oregon and Washington um, and RVing, um, which I actually really enjoyed doing that. I think uh, RVing, I don't know if we talked about it before on the podcast, but um, the RV life is a pretty sweet life. Oh, yeah. My parents want to get one. So there's three different types of RVs. There's the, I think, uh, class A, class B, class C, and a class C is like your towing type, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, we're like at the teardrop. I would love to get uh, like a sprinter van and convert that. I know that's like what a bunch of you know that's a, hipster, the, trendy people do, yeah, but that's, that's the our, new hotness. That's our goal. Yeah, the sprinter van life is the new hotness right now, and theoretically, both you and Alyssa could do the sprinter life, sprinter life, life. Sprinter van life because you could both you know work remotely. remotely yeah yeah absolutely i can i can take depositions from anywhere in the world now especially with zoom court nowadays you don't even have to show up to court anymore you just do it no, all i really wonder what that's going to do for i think any consulting job out there i know that the i think it's jp morgan in the city emailed everyone that works for them and said you must come into the office if you want to continue making new york rates because a lot of these firms, consulting jobs will pay, you know, 
I don't even want to guess what their rent's costing for these buildings. Let's, let's just say hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to, oh, to have this office space. Millions. And if you're not even going to come in, you know, there's no reason to pay you 190 to 250k for a senior analyst. Or I think that Jesus, that's like an entry level analyst. Um, if you're going to be living in Montana and paying Montana rent, um, it's just not it's not uh, efficient for them. Oh yeah, no, I think you know, I think. The sprinter, li- uh, sprinter van life is pretty sweet. Um, you know, when we uh, RV'd, we bought, we actually rented on post. You know, shout out to like literally end- any MWR facility, or if you're you know active duty, your MWR is gonna have some pretty sweet gear that you can rent for you know pennies on the dollar compared to like on the outside or like civilian side. Yeah, skis um, as well. Like, because when you came out to Colorado, you you rented the skis from the MWR there on Carson. Yeah, like twenty bucks. It was great. Yeah, it's a great um, deal. But it just also depends on where you are naturally. Like obviously, like you know, in a uh, in Fort Polk, you're not gonna have skis to rent or anything like that. But I'm sure they have like boats or you know, camping stuff that you can rent for pretty cheap. Um, which you know, a lot of people I think don't take advantage of in the military. But there's so many opportunities that if you know how to look or know where to look, you can do some pretty sweet things. But anyways, um, really big fan of the RV. Like we rented a tow RV um, and just towed it behind my truck. Um, you know, eventually I'd love to get, get like a bigger RV or something like that. So that's probably what we'll do when we retire and just like drive an RV around. My parents want to do that. And my dad's probably two years away to three years away from officially retiring. And they've been talking about getting like a Jeep Wrangler to tow behind one of these big bus like RVs yeah, yeah. and just touring the country. And I think it's a really cool idea, but the thought process again is where are you going to park this when you're not traveling? How many, you know, weeks, months out of the year are you going to be traveling? Because at that point you're looking at stuff that could cost anywhere from a quarter million dollars up to half a million dollars where you're parking it. Luckily they're both retired so they could park it on posts that they wanted for, you know, a much lower rate than a, a private lot. But that's just the stuff that I consider when, when I hear my mom talk about it, because it's just from an economic standpoint, I think you could rent it and get a better idea if after a year you want to purchase. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, just because of those like monster RVs are like essentially like a small house, like a couple hundred thousand for essentially like a, a motorhome. But yeah, they extend you know, out. I mean, they're really cool, and you could. There's a whole bunch of really sweet places that you could uh, travel. And the other thing is, if you're living in D.C. where my parents are. I don't know if getting an RV there makes sense. If I if mm. if they were to relocate out somewhere in the Midwest, that would totally make sense. So you could go to Arizona, you could go all up and down the Rockies, California when it's not on fire. But like, what are you going to see here in the tri-state area? Or there's nothing to do down in in Georgia except go to Savannah. Like, yeah, honestly. I mean, like, in the you know that'd be a great idea. Just like you know, retire out and then move to like somewhere in the midwest like buy some land in like middle of nowhere in like kansas or somewhere in the middle of the oh, country no. and then oh how dare you no no not kansas colorado yeah colorado uh somewhere cheap montana land. yeah montana would be cool somewhere where it gets you know snow and it's not insanely humid hot like new jersey currently is i can't stand it it's really nice here in washington right now Super I'm so nice jealous. Weather. It it was so humid this morning. I had to go on a like a two hour and forty minute run, and after an hour and forty, um, my heart rate was consistently up in the one fifties, one sixties, which is like my all out uh, 
pace and, and I was going like at a walking snail pace and I was just done. My recovery told me I had like 44 hours to, you know, recover after, uh, after my run, it was just awful because it was so humid. It started out, it rained a little bit and then it stopped. And it was like someone just turned on the sauna and said, fuck you. Yeah. That is what I do not miss about the East coast with the humidity, like out here in Washington, like, it can, you know, it can get like rainy and stuff, but it's never really humid. So that's pretty nice out here. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, what's, what's going on in Cuba. Um, the, you know, the whole communism works thing is, well, it's not going to do so hot. I think in the fall in most undergraduate classes or in your graduate level programs, if you're like pro Bernie Sanders. So, um, I'd be interested to get your take on, on what's going on, uh, down there in the Caribbean. Yeah. What is it like the, the, everybody's protesting, revolting pretty much as the rest of the world is basically due to like COVID pressures from COVID and the lack of resources, like South Africa's like massive riots. Uh, we saw that in Venezuela already, you know, but somehow that's all, that's America's fault. Like it, it makes zero sense. You don't like capitalism. The people that argue that socialism and communism is good when it's not run by, you know, self-interested parties. Show me a situation when that has, like, never occurred. But I digress. You say it's capitalism's fault, and it's our fault because we have an embargo on them from giving them capitalism. So it, we're shielding them from capitalism, so they should be good. But because we're shielding them from capitalism – their country is doing poorly. Like that, that is the circular argument that I can't get around. And I, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to, to general economics and social programs. But when it comes to straight math, that's where these individuals lose me because they can't explain it. Yeah, is that like the uh, the mental gymnastics that people play to to rationalize, you know, certain things? Yeah, and it's they're what, like it is what it is. they're turning off the internet. Um, you know, even in our country now, we're seeing calls for President Biden saying that Facebook needs to shut down all the anti-vax messaging because we're not hitting our targets. And Facebook rightly came back and said, you know, don't put the country's failure to hit your target on a social media site. Like the the whole COVID thing right now is blowing my mind. The Delta variant is out there. Yes, people that have the vaccine are now testing positive for COVID. We've got Olympians in Tokyo that are testing positive for COVID. If the Olympics get shut down, I'm going to be salty. I'm going to be so salty. Uh, I don't understand the the whole vax, anti-vax thing now. Los Angeles is saying they're going back to a mask mandate, which is, if anything, is just going to strengthen the argument for the anti-vaxxers saying, this is why I don't need to get the vaccine, because if I had, I still need to wear a mask. I mean, I just don't get the science behind it, and I would probably need you to explain it. The science behind what? Masking versus no masking or the vaccine? Yeah, I just don't understand what the what the whole argument is now that we should be wearing a mask with the Delta variant and how people who are vaccinated are catching COVID now. It just seems it seems silly that we all rush to get a vaccine that is now just kind of turning back against us. Not the vaccine, but another variant it's like what what was the whole point of shutting down and wearing a mask it doesn't seem to have done anything yeah you know like 
I honestly haven't read too much into the Delta variant and like looked into it too much, but you know, with every disease, every virus, you have the uh, capability to mutate, um, which is why we have a different flu vaccine every year because the flu vaccine, you know, mutates every year. Uh, and then especially with the COVID vaccine, the, t- the target was the, uh, the spike protein that's on the uh, virus envelope. So that's what, you know, the vaccine was uh, targeting using that spike protein as the antigen or the, um, you know, the way to build immunity against the spike protein to allow, to prevent the protein, the, the virus from, you know, uh, from infecting you. But then I imagine with the Delta variant, there's probably some new genetic uh, modulation or new mutation that allows the the spike protein to be uh, different or not the same that such that the vaccine is no longer effective against it. That's just my, you know, without doing any research and actually reading up about it, that's probably what happened. But that's not to be expected because we know for a fact, we know like for science that like, you know, viruses mutate. Um, they change every year or so often and it's very hard to create a all-encompassing, you know, vaccine against it, which is why we have the flu drive, like flu vaccine changes every year. And then the flu drive, the flu vaccines literally just based on uh, predictions of what next year's flu strain is going to be. That's why some years it's, it's beneficial and some years it actually doesn't do anything. Um, but that's just kind of the thought process behind it. So you could probably argue that the reason why the Delta variant is coming back is because people, we have such a, you know, poor vaccine response that the vac- the, the virus is allowed to kind of, um, you know, stay around essentially and, p- and pick up mutations along the way. And then eventually after it's out in the population, it pick up this new mutation that now makes it resistant to the vaccine. Right. And I think it goes back to what we talked about, I mean, like a year and a half ago. I can't even get on the COVID timeline any longer because I just, I don't know where 2019 and 20 ended up. But the people that were always anti-vax and are still anti-vax point to the people that are, are dying are the elderly or individuals that have, you know, other comorbidity comorbidities. Is that the right word? Comorbidities, yeah. Yeah. Comorbidities. Comorbidities. And so if you're a healthy young individual taking the vaccine, you're arguing that I should be taking it for the health of others. And so when the vaccine is not stacking bodies up to, you know, a level that people think of when they look at smallpox, when they look at the, whatever, the 1918 flu, and then the government comes around and can't get its messaging straight, and then forces everyone to get a vaccine, and now we're kind of regressing and going back to having to shut down again. It's just mixed messaging. So I can totally understand people being apprehensive to want to get a vaccine, especially if now with the Delta variant, you know, having a big uptick in those unvaccinated populations, we're not yet seeing the the huge death spikes that we had under COVID because the people that needed it the most, the elderly, are probably generally safe now because they've gotten it. The out of shape individuals that had the comorbidities got the vaccine or generally most of them did. So we're not so it's like people are getting it, but it's not killing them. So it just goes back to did we like hyperinflate how dangerous this flu is? And if we didn't, then how come COVID-19, the Delta variant, isn't just running buckshot through these communities in America and we're just like losing space in morgues? I mean, like that's a that's like the argument I can totally see and totally understand. 
Yeah, I think a part, a good portion of kind of you know the, um, I guess response to COVID has been you know media driven in the fact that, you know, clicks or like headlines drive clicks, therefore driving more revenue to news to media companies, um, and you know whether you we like to think uh, think about things like this or not, but there's always a financial incentive. Uh, for these, you know, these things, for example, like the COVID vaccine, you know, I can't imagine how much Pfizer or Johnson Johnson made off this vaccine, you know? Oh, yeah. And that, but that's something that people say, we're just paying into it. I'm paying for the profit. Okay, like you're also buying an iPhone. Like corporations run the place. Don't get mad at a corporation just because it happens to be the market leader at making something that everyone wants. That's just, that's just being a baby. Right, but my point is that there are, you know, ulterior motives driving policy, um, you know, lobbying, what have you, that um, probably play a larger role than, you know, we'd like to think that, you know, the government and regulate, like regulatory agencies have our you know, best interests at heart, whereas people are people and, you know, people are fallible. Yeah, but I just think it's dangerous when we have individuals advocating for, social media platforms or news companies to take account for what they're putting out or what others put out through their platform because uh, Jen Psaki came out quoting a, a study that 65% all of all the anti-vax stuff comes from just 12 accounts. I don't know who the 12 accounts are. I think we can all guess, you know, what political affiliation they have. But in like freedom of speech, we shall make no law you know, we shall make no law respecting or establishing, prohibiting free exercise thereof. Like that language is pretty cemented in our history. And so just because it is, you know, of low value to some people, like if we were to take that and push that to other areas of life, that would be like, you know, minority candidates. And I don't mean uh, race, but I'm talking like a, you know, a political minority. Um, Their supporters could be excluded from the political process because either they won't win or because they don't have the financial backing to be able to go out and speak. Like it would just chill free speech. Like you should test speech from a utility standpoint, but overall the, the market will kind of weed out the bad information from the good. And if there is like an ounce of truth to something, like you should allow or have the uh, maturity to hear it out and then come up with a factual way to respond to it and say why it is right or why it is wrong. But like we're in this, again, very polarized area where we think you can't do something because uh, like it's not how I think, so I'm going to cancel you. And it's on both sides of the party at this point. Yeah, I think that's kind of like a reflection of, um, I don't know, like maybe modern day society and psyche and culture is that, you know, nobody wants to come up and do their own research anymore everyone's too content to you know go to your instagram or your facebook and click on that one you know article that um has no information behind it and it's just like a sensationalist article that's like that somebody has written up to you know to polarize you to a topic and you know very few people uh, whether it's for motivation or time just don't want to do their own research and make their own decisions on things and do their own risk benefit analysis like at the end of the day, you know, you're all, you know, quote unquote, grown ass, grown ass people that can make their own decisions. But, 
you know, you have to make your own decisions and live with your own decisions um, and do your own, you know, your own homework. And I think too, too many people are just falling into the trap of like listening to one person or one account or one news source for all the information and that's blinded to the other side and, uh, you know, the actual truth because the truth is somewhere found between like all these little bits of pieces of all information. It's like amalgamation of all this, you know, all these sources is the actual truth. But when you only listen to one person or one account or one, you know, one company, you only get a, a side of the truth, not the whole truth. Yeah. And if your, your news source, uh, doesn't even have programs on its platform that, highlight both sides of it. It's probably not a good news network. I think it was uh, Bill Burr that recently went on a rant against CNN because, you know, President Biden is generally a, I'm going to say unimpressive from the standpoint of creating like daily headlines like President Trump was uh, with either his gaffes or just saying something outlandish. And CNN is clearly bored by his presidency and so they're constantly just continuing to fuel the Republican Party of Donald Trump. Like, that's the only thing that's making news. And so when people are upset that Fox News or these OAN networks are giving Trump another platform, it's like CNN, you're doing the exact same thing. Like, you talk about the financial uh, implications. I, I think, like, since President Trump has left office, according to Sean Hannity, the the CNN viewers have dropped precipitously because nobody wants to watch the network because there's nothing to watch. And now that Trump's making a resurgence in Florida, it's like that's all of a sudden like 24-7 CNN. Like that that's not a news network. And it, Fox does it. CNN does it. MSNBC. And Bill Burr was right to critique these people because it's not a news network. They're just playing off. They're like a page six uh, of, you know, the TMZ world of, of big cable broadcast. That is, you know, the truth. And, you know, I'm hoping that one of these days, um, you know, the mass market will speak and, you know, mass media will finally, you know, get crushed. CNN goes away. Fox News goes away. Yeah, but I mean, that's with like independent. That's where we go back to the to the regulatory, like in, in communications law and information law, you have public ordering and private ordering. So if you have low value speech just because it could be patently offensive doesn't mean you should get rid of it. But if there are private mechanisms that are in place, it's the reason why we don't have MySpace any longer because people didn't think it was good. Uh, it's the reason why some print sources have gone out of style with news and the type of reporting that you would see. You know, you only get a couple major headlines coming across the ticker compared to people reading the newspaper every single day. So times change and people will move with them. But f- I think to overregulate an, an area in the public ordering thing, that the big test should be is the government controlling this type of of news. And if it is, I think that's dangerous. You know, the government should not have a, a hand in telling you what you can or can't read because, again, then you're in Cuba and then you're having your internet shut off. Like it's a slippery slope. No, I agree. Yeah, you know, ultimately it should be like a free, you know, free speech, free market society as far as information goes and um i just hope that like you know these media companies like cnn or fox news that are essentially propaganda machines they only tell what they want their interpretation of the truth um i hope that their you know market share becomes more precipitous and we have the rise of other like third-party news sources that are gonna um you know tell the actual reporting tell what's actually going on 
Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. But then it's, you know, where do these people get their headlines from? And it's like the news of the day. Who owns the news of the day? That was uh, an old case back in the early 1900s because someone would just wait for one news agency to report it and then they would write their stories 30 minutes later. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once it's out there, it's out there. So, you know, what kind of uh, platform are you running? It's just, it's sad when you see the, the polarization come to, you know, like we've seen it in the military. Um, we talked about Arcteryx, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago with, I don't know, they, they said they're not going to make a certain clothing. Um, Black Rifle Coffee, I think, was under heat on social media because one of their founders allegedly was donating to like a financial, uh, not a financial, uh, a political party like left leaning and they didn't support Kyle Ritterhouse or whatever that that teenager's name was that that shot people up um they decided to go to you know a protest fully strapped like if you are so narrow-minded that you don't want to buy something because of someone's political affiliation that runs the site or runs the company again you are just an idiot like you are the type of person that gets bent out of shape over small things but it's within your right to, you know, use that to, to drive your uh, consumerism choices, you know. It's well within your right to do that too, though. It's like Oh, it's totally within your right, but you can't be shocked by someone else living their life and, and having their, their own freedoms. But if, you're, if your consumerism is going to be generated uh, off of buying into these companies um, because you think they have a certain type of messaging and then find out that they don't, and completely cut them off, even if you like their product, like that just, that speaks volumes about you and how narrow-minded and weak-minded you are. Because it's like, do I agree with everything Nike's ever done? Hell no. I like Nike. I'm still going to wear their clothing. You know, it's just, it goes back to, do you like the product or do you think that everything has to be channeled through the same political affiliation you know, that you are, for instance, like the, I think the, the black rifle coffee issue was over the St. Michael, uh, image of, of slaying a dragon. Um, apparently the, the story is allegedly that they were going to have a coffee that was going to depict, you know, St. Michael because, you know, they're all about the military and the law and order community or, or law enforcement community. Sorry, I'm getting the shows mixed up. Um, but they heard uh, apparently that you know white supremacists are now using the image of of, of Saint Michael, um, and so because of that, they're like, we want to avoid using this. And now people are like, I can't believe you know I I wore a necklace that had this guy's you know uh, image on it for all my deployments. You know the law enforcement community loves it, and so like for you not to to do that because you're bowing down to woke woke culture. I can't support you. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, if that story is true or the fact that they donated to liberal candidates, like, I don't understand why that prevents you from buying their coffee if you truly like their coffee. Yeah. No, I agree. Although I will say that Back Rifle Coffee is not great coffee. I'll put it out there. Sorry. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't drink the coffee, as you know, for... The coffee bean, I, I like to play around with the different creamers that are out there because I apparently have no taste for, for coffee like you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, good company that does good things for veterans, but uh, not a huge fan of the beans. Um, you know, 
Well, you're like a coffee snob. I drink, I, I drink like Dunkin'. That's my. No, I, I am a, you know, huge coffee snob. Um, yeah. Yeah, to the extent that if you put creamer in your coffee, like you consider that coffee ruined. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, see, that, I don't that, think... that's not well. It depends on what kind of coffee it is. If it's like a, <laughs> you know, like a Starbucks, whatever, like blend, like blended coffee, I'll put some creamer in it just because I'm if I want like a tasty treat, you know. Yeah, but yeah, drink, it's my morning. But if I'm drinking coffee, you know, I want to taste the coffee to get the different floral notes, you know, the fruit notes, you know, the stone fruit. Um, I have this great uh, coffee that I'm drinking right now from uh, Irving Farms. It's a Yurka Chafe from Africa. It's got some, I love it because it tastes like uh, there's like a jasmine tea um, note to it, and it tastes almost like bubble tea. It's like kind of sweet. It's got like a tea. You say like it tastes jasmine. like bubble tea? Yeah. Oh, that was good. We I was down uh, down near there, and we I, I walked by the uh, the tea, tea spot that yeah. we went to. Yeah, and I was like, why does that place look familiar? Oh, there's a line. Yes, that's where we went. That yeah, that was delicious. Yeah, but you know. You know, I definitely have like a, a metric for judging judging tea or judging coffee, excuse me. And um, I am a big fan of. Ever heard of Trade Coffee, the company Trade? No. Basically, it's a coffee subscription, uh, coffee subscription site that just sends you coffee every, however much you want, and it's like really good coffee. Um, so I am, you know, kind of a coffee snob. And so this is how much of a coffee snob I am not. Uh, I usually like to rotate seasonally with like a pumpkin spice uh, creamer. I'll throw that in for the fall. For the winter, I'm a peppermint boy. Uh, for the summer, maybe like an Italian cream, although I have gone to Almond Joy. I think I just got Almond Joy, in fact, when I went grocery shopping. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling extra crunchy and hippie-ish, I will get like an almond milk creamer, but it usually just tastes like shit and I'm just bringing it out just to show people that I use almond milk sometimes because I'm so much better than them when it comes to health and fitness. But I love the candy flavored creamers because I know they're chock full of sugar uh, and I'm addicted. Yeah, I get the uh, oat milk. Oat milk creamer is pretty good. I'm a big fan of oat milk. Yeah, I don't mind the coffee. My problem is with coffee is for me, there's a sweet spot for drinking it and it probably only lasts three minutes because if the coffee's too hot, I can't have it. Like my mouth is just so perfectly built that if anything is too hot, it burns my tongue. I think I'm the only person out there that probably gets this sensation of something's too hot in their mouth. If it's too cold or if it's tepid, I can't do it. Like, I can't drink lukewarm coffee. Like, it just needs to be, like, this perfect temperature, which is why I need a mug that would keep it perfectly warm or insulated uh, have long that. enough for me to enjoy it. They have those, like, uh, heated coffee travel mugs that, like, I think it's called Ember. I don't have one, but I've, I've seen ads for it. It's With, like, like a, 200 bucks. I don't, I don't know how much they are. I don't need it. I, I've got a, an insulated uh, mug that I'll, I'll bring... Um, Alyssa just got me like a travel, uh, like huge, like craft that keeps shit warm for like eight hours for like soups. And so I'll bring that to work. Cause I, I absolutely hate curry coffee. Like there's nothing, there's nothing well, worse out there than, than a curry coffee. Even yeah, if don't it has a start on setting. yeah. Don't, don't even start on curry coffee. Yeah. It's off. I, in, in, uh, the office that I'm at now, 
they've got it hooked up and they, they supply like unlimited. And I remember the first time I went in there, it was like, oh, this is a nice looking Keurig. It's shit coffee, just awful coffee. So now I'm like bringing my stuff in because even if I want to have a mixed coffee with some creamer in it, I sure as hell know that I don't want a Keurig because it's just like drinking muddy water. Trash coffee. So we can agree on that at least. No Keurigs. Yeah, no Keurigs, but I don't know. I tried, dude, I really tried to drink black coffee for a long time because of your influence. I think I did it all 1L year. Um, I definitely did it that summer between 2018-19 when we hung out because you did it. And I look up to you and I said, man, if, if Bobby's getting these notes out of this coffee, then I certainly should train my palate. But I can't. I mean, it's like drinking wine. There's red wine and then there's cold wine. The cold wine comes in white or pink. And that is the knowledge of wine. So if you come at me and you say, do you taste the leather? Do you taste the tannins? Like, I'm going to spit my wine in your face. It's not for everybody. I'll admit, you know, it's not for everybody. Yeah, but what is nice is you become like a subject matter expert on the flavor of the coffee. So when people say, hey, do you like this coffee brand? You can say, honestly, I don't because it doesn't have the floral jasmine notes that I like from this coffee from the Western Plains of Africa. But compared to the notes of the Indian coffee in this, you know, medium roast, uh, it is just divine. It is, you know, a talking point. It's just like any, like, you know, you can get deep in the weeds on any, like, finer things in life, like wine, bourbon, whiskey. Um. Oh, yeah. I, I had a, a, a person I worked with that was, like, so incredibly into whiskey. She and her husband had, like, all of the major U.S. whiskeys. I had a bunch of Japanese whiskeys, and that was, like, an entire wall of their house in Colorado, and they would... That was like their thing. They would test whiskeys, you know, every couple nights together and get a new, new, uh, new batch shipped to them. And I mean, it's like again, if that's your, if that's your thing and you're really good at it, like I love people being all aboard. Yeah. No whiskeys. I I have gone through like a little bourbon phase like those last couple of years, but not nearly to that extent. You know who goes through the bourbon phase uh, the most? I think are infantry officers that getting to Hemingway. Uh, which is, I think, like a very, very small group of all infantry officers. But I think probably any, and you know what, they're probably all West Pointers too, I'll be honest. They get into their cigars. They know all the different types of cigars that are out there because they they obviously have to knock their rings around on the weekends. They all know about the different, bur- I don't even know if there's a difference between bourbon and whiskey. That's how little I know about like the brown liquors. They could be rum for all I know. And then, you know, they really get into Hemingway and, you know, what a dry sense of humor he has and the snows of Kilimanjaro. Like, clearly, I've read a bunch of his stuff, but I've never gotten into the bourbons that, you know, go along with it. It's you West Pointers, man. Just a hater. Speaking of hating, because I I think we can both talk about this, too. Uh, Apparently, again, guys, you can totally see we get all of our news from Instagram People are complaining that if you don't have combat experience, you can't be a good leader. I think because I think now the military sees a lot of people that don't have deployments. Uh, so I think we can either talk about combat or we can talk about not having a deployment and being a good leader. Yeah, I think I don't think that was how that was phrased. I think was it like if you've never been in combat, you can't talk about like combat tactics or something like that. 
Yeah, even, that, okay, yeah, we can take it. Yeah, we can go there, sure. Uh, but, you know, there. I don't think you have to deploy or see combat to be a good leader, um, you know, for the entire military, you know, an entire army. You know, there's always been generations of non-combat officers or non-combat leaders who still, you know, do everything that they're supposed to be doing and they're still good people and good leaders. You don't necessarily have yep. to be... Um, you know, had to have multi-deployments like the GWAT era veteran um, to be a good leader. Yeah, I, I agree. And on the tactics piece, the the whole argument that you have so many people out there now that, that have their CIB or CAVs and they're deployed, So I would guess so many of them now were never actually in combat. It was from some inaccurate small arms fire or, you know, from some mortars that got lobbed. So if we were to break down the GWAT veterans, you know, 2001 to 2010 experienced combat significantly differently than the conventional force person from 2011 to, you know, presently. Um, And every single year it changed. And so for people to rest on a single badge that they had when they could have just been sitting in a bunker while they were getting, you know, shelled with a small round mortar, like that doesn't qualify you to be some incredible leader when you get back and treat some person that just came in either because they were too young to sign up or they were doing other things to better themselves from from you know being a good soldier like that's just such a again narrow-minded way to look at things that you know if you're not exactly like you everyone else is a piece of shit and i will even you know caveat on top of that saying like you know people um you know hold soft in the high esteem and like uh you know kind of shit on conventional forces but you know in iraq from like 2000 you know 2003 2007 2008 like conventional army things like fourth id you know a lot of other conventional forces were you know doing a lot of fighting oh same every thing with afghanistan major, talk about yeah, like 10th every, mountain 173rd in afghanistan 82nd first 82nd those guys did a lot of fighting back in like 2008 2010 25th id getting after it in afghanistan all up and down the the kunar i mean so there are people out there that were in the regular army that were doing just absolutely incredible stuff day in day out and it's not until we get to 2012 13 14 where conventional operations are ramping down and soft is still going out there doing what they were doing for a decade plus but on the, even on the deployments, the one thing deployments give you is the ultimate sense of realism when you get ready. Your PCCs, PCIs are, I think, much more focused because there is an actual chance that you're going to have to use some of the equipment that you go out with. You know, your radio communications, the seriousness with which you're approaching each one of your patrols or your missions because you understand that the people are going to be lobbing real things back in your direction – And so you can't quite recreate that in a training environment. But to say that you can't get the the similar experiences of physically, is it going to be really challenging to move to an objective, however far it is away, to organize your troops effectively, to employ the same tactics in the homeland that you are on some foreign soil? Like that, that is an awful argument. And I think the tactics one too just gets me because you can create so many different variables. I mean, like the hardest variables I ever saw were at TFTs because they just threw the most complex things at you and you had to respond so that when you got in combat on the off chance you encountered one of them it's like I've gone through this enough like that's that's where practice makes perfect and so to say because you didn't do that in real life 
means that you don't have like a grasp on, you know, what actual tactics and combat is, uh, is a poor argument. I'll give you an example. If you're in combat, I think there's a lot of instances where you can cut corners because you know that we just, you know, you have to maybe clear this room or clear a building. And if you know it's either not inhabited or, you know, you've already taken care of the enemy forces there, you know, individuals might not go through with the same sense of realism. But if you're doing it in a training environment, you don't know where people have put, you know, the the op four in that building yet because someone was just told, hey, five minutes after making contact, you're going to be dead or you're going to play dead or you're going to fall over with a grenade on you in the shoot house environment. And so because of that, there is an unknown to maybe what is completely known in the real world. So you have to get away from this. If you don't have a combat deployment, you're less than. If you don't see combat, you're less than. Because again, combat could be one indirect round that landed within 100 meters of you while you were in the chow hall. Or combat could be, you know, just going through an entire uh, saw drum, uh, you know, just lobbing it across the valley and and just absolutely stacking bodies. Like you will never know, and so you shouldn't put a ton of faith um, in certain people's backgrounds. You just let their current experiences speak for them. Yeah, you know, that's a great point to make about letting you know people's uh, currently like, expect like their current attributes and actions speak for themselves like you can tell like someone who's a good leader and who's not a good leader and too often i think you you run into uh leaders who kind of rest on the laurels saying that you know i've deployed or i've done combat like i've done this like i'm you know i'm god's gift to to the army because i've deployed once and you know went on a mission or something like that and then you have those individuals who rest on that fact and then, you know, become complacent in their training, saying that they don't need to train as hard or, you know, they've already done it in for real life. Like, why do you need to train so hard in, in, in practice and training? So, right. you know, you have you have good leaders who will who have not maybe not have personally experienced combat or done those things, but can still push and create realistic training experiences in order to create lethal war fighters who if they were placed in that scenario would, would do well but then you have other leaders who kind of just don't drive for that you know the perfect or drive for you know realistic training because they're basing all their experiences on that one time they took fire you know and don't right. create and then if you're on a deployment too there's a huge staff that deploys as part of these organizations. I mean, the 75th has an incredible staff of either like pre-command captains or pre-platoon, you know, waiting in the line, first lieutenants. Um, And then the same with conventional units at the brigade level. You're going to have a whole bunch of pre-command, post-command captains. You're going to have a bunch of field grades. They're either coming off of their their KD time or going into it. You're going to have a bunch of NCOs that are helping run the place. So you could find someone that has three or four deployments and has never been in a leadership position on a single one of them. Every single time, you know, their deployment was from the safety of a FOB and for the entirety of the deployment or they, they're the only patrol they went on was driving from one FOB to another. So don't look at that. I would say look at the current way the individual is managing um, their formation that they're tasked with leading or supporting. But then also what kind of nominative positions are they pursuing or what things are they doing presently or in the past that have set them apart from their peers? And this is where I think like Ranger School plays a huge factor. 
a lot of individuals will never be able to deploy, and it, that and now that's over. So if you can't get a deployment patch or get some of these experiences that might help in creating realistic training, you should be bettering yourself with going to small unit tactic like courses with going to airborne or air assault and not just going to get a badge at air assault, but learning how to do sling load operations, going to Pathfinder, going to Slick. Like there's a whole bunch of courses out there. That's what I would evaluate someone off of in addition to how they presently communicate and lead others, not whether they spent nine months eating four meals a day on Pasab. Yeah. And that's like the, you know, I think the trap a lot of people fall into is that, you know, the, I had it harder than you had it, or, you know, I'm better than you because, you know, just by sheer chance, I was able to deploy with, you know, 101st or 82nd, they go sit on a fob in Iraq and pull security for, you know, soft going out. And somehow that makes you a better leader than the guys that didn't draw that deployment, you know? Right. And the only thing that I, I see when you look at like regiment where they are for the longest while, they were going like every year, these guys were going for four to six months. Like at that point, when you've seen that much combat and your senior NCOs, like, yes, there, there is a clear difference. Like this person not only has the requisite skills to create realistic training, but when you go down range with them, like that individual is incredibly lethal. Like, They've been in enough contact in some of these formations where they know exactly how to respond. And that, so that's all it is, is an experience. You know, you're going to get like a level-headed response from them in dealing with these variables that you have been training on when you come back. And in those very small, rare cases as the Army is like, you know, stretching further and further um, with the, you know, from the, the pre-kind of combat to now just having a few select units experiencing it, like that's where it can make some difference. But for the most part, like for 90 plus percent of the formations out there, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I always like to uh, just remember, I always remember like my old FSNCO and in, in second ID here, like looking at his, you know, class A's, he had like 10 or 11 or 12 like combat stripes, um, just with a conventional army. And then you compare and contrast that with some guys in regiment who were in for the same amount of time who had, you know, a significant less amount of deployment stripes. Not saying all deployments are equal and what have you, but, you know, experience speaks for itself, especially if you're talking about, like, hide the GWAT area. Like, those guys were doing, you know, legitimate things on deployment. And to discount saying that they were conventional for, like, conventional doesn't mean that they didn't do anything on deployment either. And I think that's, like, a trap a lot of people fall into and that, you know, just because you're a big army doesn't mean that your experiences were worthless and don't mean anything. Yeah. So if you see someone out there that thinks that seeing combat or deployment is the end-all be-all, I would really seriously consider judging them for how they, they train. So if you go to the range with them and they're their range uh, operations and their their marksmanship is trash, if their training that they're setting up is trash, then you can probably get a good sense that their deployments were trash too. So, you know, just like the ranger tab, you know, you should be a bearer and not a wearer and understand that if you are just a wearer, like people are going to see through that. And that's going to discount the, the expectations when they actually meet someone who's done stuff. 100% guarantee. 100% agree. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, to, I guess to, the take is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to deploy to be a good leader and that you can still have tough, realistic training, even though you've never personally experienced it. But, you know, there are plenty, you know, all the doctrines are written by people that have experienced it and that doctrine is doctrine. And then 
we practice doctoring. Yeah, I mean, just get good at linear and L-shaped ambushes, and I, I mean, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, the fun, the troop leading procedures are the troop leading procedures, no matter what situation you're in. Um, you know, if you're good at TLPs and planning a mission, you're probably going to be good at doing the same thing in a combat scenario. Yeah. Wait, TLPs. Is that, what, what was the? I know it's not the name of the band. Who, who's the one that sings Waterfalls and Scrubs? TLC. TLC. Yeah. Um. What else was there that was kind of uh, another Instagram-worthy news? Um, what is big on the Instagram? Uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, if uh, if you want to reach out to us and we don't get back to you on the Instagram messaging, like just hit us up on the emails. It. I'm always shocked when people have questions on the programming or like what programming and they don't check out the website. Um, because like we've got, there's a treasure trove of, of free programming that you can get online. That's there. Like Bobby put in a lot of effort when we first made the site to have all the acronyms listed. Um, so just small stuff like that, like just our website's got a lot of it. And if you, if we're not getting back to you, email either Sean at Cronus fit or Bobby at Cronus fit or James at Cronus Fit, or HQ at Cronus Fit, you know, and we can very easily get back to you through that platform instead of seeing, you know, however many, sometimes dozen messages we still got to get to um, on the Instagram because we get a lot of spam. Um, so sometimes it's it's hard. So we apologize if we don't get back to you as soon as you'd like. Um, but that's just another way you can reach us. Yeah, you know, in the ideal world, you'd have us working kind of full-time at, you know, at Cronus Fit, but... You know, for better or for worse, we are doing other things. Um, so we're not all able to fully put as much time and effort as we probably should or could in Kronos Fit. Yeah. Bobby's out here sawing legs off, putting them on the, the the wrong spot, and then, you know, doing all these weird tests on humans. That's pretty what the sad. point of being a doctor is. Yeah, pretty sad. I was supposed to do a, uh, a sleeve... Uh, bariatric sleeve last friday but i got canceled so it's kind of sad i didn't get a chance to do that i don't even know what that is i thought you were going to talk tattoos there for a second yeah like a bariatric you know lab a sleeve got extracted me for bariatric surgery basically where you take a chunk of somebody's stomach off um to help them lose weight oh like uh what's the layman's term for that a sleeve gastrectomy? I don't know. <laughs> a sleeve? It's even the, no. What's the one where like you just get your stomach clipped? Oh, I mean, that might be the layman's term or the ba- gastric bypass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bypass is a little more um, uh, difficult to to execute as far as uh, procedures go. Um, but I'm hoping to start doing some more bypasses this year as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, totally. I might I might get one after the uh, the Iron Man. Sounds like a cool thing to get. The bypass? No. You know, I think bariatric surgeries are pretty fun surgeries to do. It's just that bariatric patients are typically kind of the worst patients ever. Why is that? Uh, from one of, uh, when I was a med student, one of the residents I heard says something like this. Like, you know, a bariatric patient is typically someone who has never had to work very hard in their life and has never really experienced hardship. E.g., they've, you know, just always know ate whatever they wanted and never and lived a sedentary lifestyle to make themselves like 350 pounds you know so like it wouldn't they're getting this surgery in an attempt of taking the easy way out 
so they expect that recovery is going to be easy and that they don't have to work after surgery. Oh, well, that's not, you know, why should they have to work? Why don't you do better at the surgery so people don't have to? It sounds like you're just not doing a good job from yeah. from that angle, doc. Well, well, I will say that the surgeries are fine, but the patient population is absolutely miserable to work with for the most part. Because you get like a quarter of, I say like, you know, a quarter of them do great with surgery and lose a lot of weight. Half of them do okay with surgery, lose some weight, then gain the weight back, and then get more surgery. And then a quarter of them just fail miserably and are just nightmares. And they have like all these complications and just like, you know, don't do well with it at all. So... Well, I think that's what's made, you know, we can bring this full circle to COVID. I think that's what's made COVID so frustrating to deal with because we have a population and we, we talk about weight loss remedies, for instance, with the, the bypass that makes it so people don't have to take the hard route. They don't have to count their calories. They don't have to get, you know, 3,000 steps in a day. They can just say, oh, I'm going to get a surgery. I'm going to take this like super caffeinated drink and it's going to it's going to make everything better. And then when you look at COVID, it's like, well, what's the easy, what's the easy way to, to avoid this? It's like, well, it started with eating healthy and being a fit human. You know, like we would not be in a situation where 60% of our population is at risk because, you know, we're obese. Um, so, but it's sad too, when we think about healthcare, cause we talked about this on the, the healthcare podcast, like what healthcare covers now and why healthcare is so expensive because we have a lot of these surgeries that people can, can uh can take that you know cost a shit ton of money but really they aren't they aren't required like you don't need these are like kind of these elective surgeries because you yourself weren't taking good enough care of your body like it's like i could get a nose job i'm not gonna but like that shouldn't be covered by healthcare. yeah like there are certain you know populations where i think bariatric surgery is probably pretty beneficial to some people for example like you know like a 50 year old person who's obese who like physically can't like work out to lose weight but like you know some of our patients are like 20 20 like 20 years old who get like bypasses or like you know bariatric like procedures to like help them lose weight which they are you know completely physically capable of doing you know exercise and losing weight it's just like you know i can't believe that 20 20 years old getting these surgeries which just that's terrifying it's like it's so unhealthy I've been I've been watching uh, on a side note of healthy. I've been watching this Australian real estate show on Amazon. It's like the Selling Sunset on Netflix or you know Million Dollar Listing on Bravo, but they show these shots of Australia and Sydney and like Bondi Beach. Every single person down there is just so fit. Like I want to move to Australia on the other side of the world just because everyone there is like a top ten model. They're just all like some of them aren't good looking, but they're all fit. And you're just like, I, I don't remember the last time I ever went to a beach where everyone on the beach was fit. Yeah, it's probably like somewhere in Europe or like not in America, that's for, dear, that's for sure. Oh, definitely not Jersey. I mean, you're like, holy hell. Last time I was at the beach in Jersey, I thought it was going to tip into the water. <laughs> yeah, also like, uh, it's always funny like when you go overseas to like go visit, like travel internationally, and you know, then you like look around you kind of used to seeing like you know normal sized people and they come back to america and you like look around and you're like holy hell like what are we doing here in america yeah we need like Sad. a 40 days and 40 nights where the only light that you're going to be able to have are either experiencing in your apartment or in a gym 
Like that's the only place on in society that you're going to have a light source in the grocery store. So it's going to be like essential services. Like you get them in your subway, you get it at work, you get it at the home, you get it at the grocery store, you get it at the gym. Those are the only places that you're going to experience light. You don't get it anywhere else. So you have to spend time in the gym to be able to see. Well, they say, you know, with COVID that gyms aren't an essential business or essential service anymore, you know? That's nuts. That like I never understood that because it was like, what population is the most unlikely to be hospitalized from COVID? Fit communities. I just saw an article that said that fitness is perpetuating like masculine uh, tendencies and, and toxic uh, man culture. It's just like we, we're getting so far of people just demonizing being in shape. Again, because I think people are just really upset that we're not holding Seth Rogen on the same pedestal that we hold Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, that's the world I live in. I still think, you know, Chris Hemsworth is an incredibly good-looking dude. Would I Do I think Fat Thor is good-looking? No. <laughs> like, there, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not commenting on a female. I'm talking about, like, you know, my own gender. Like, I, you know, that's not, that's not not allowed in the society, I think, today. But, like, you I'm not going to look at Seth Rogen and be like, oh, my God, he's so hot and brave. Yeah, we just need to put, you know, there's not quite enough emphasis on healthy living these days or fitness. Yeah, you got rid of gym. I remember sweating my ass off as a kid in gym, like in elementary school, because I wanted the fastest mile. I wanted to break six minutes on the mile. Um, And then in seventh grade, and then all of a sudden, like gym class in high school wasn't cool. Like, oh, my God, you're going to sweat. Like, I don't know what at what point we thought getting rid of of gym classes was was a good idea. Because, again, it's just you're being demonized for wanting to stay in shape. It's like the same thing at Fort Hood. You get demonized for having a Ranger tab and not wearing a Stetson. Demonized for doing PT. Yeah. Or wanting to work out. Yeah. Oh, real quick, speaking of Fort Hood before we close out, they lost 100 uh, nods. I did see that, yeah. That's pretty funny. That place can't catch a break. It's just uh, culturally, you know, just a toxic culture. Yeah, maybe if they renamed it so it wasn't named after a Confederate Civil War general, a traitor, like maybe things would turn around. I think maybe they just like clean out house of all like the... Uh, Tanks? Yeah, yeah, I agree. All the shitty units. Yeah, all the tank units. See ya. There's a bunch of, of good dismounted training areas. There are enough uh, places you could you, you could make for the jumpy boys. Make that an airborne unit, and you'll see that place turn around real quick. That'd be interesting. You probably could. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't know, like, a really shitty airborne unit. I mean, like, the 82nd gets made fun of because they don't know how to wear their berets, but... That's a pretty good unit. If yeah, I, I can't... I, that's the one I wanted to go... To, like, after I left regiment, and I was, like, waiting for, like, where am I going to do command? I saw the 82nd. I was like, oh, my God, yeah, that or Richardson or, or Vincenza... The last place I wanted to go was Mech. Like, I mean, it's like the running joke in the army. What The worst units everyone makes fun of are all Mech. Like, that can't be a coincidence. Yeah, I always tell people, like, when they join, you know, our junior officers joining the military and they're trying to get the first, you know, posting assignments, go light. If you can, go light. If you can, go light, go airborne. If you can, go airborne, go light. Do some kind of, you know light or infantry light tactics especially airborne units whether whether or not you know airborne's relevant in today's society in today's war uh warfare but 
the fact that you have to, you know, volunteer for airborne school and go through airborne school already, you know, cuts weeds out a good amount of people throughout the yeah. bat. I would say uh, if you go mech as like a brand new PL, then try to go to like Ranger Regiment because then after you're going to go right back to light or airborne. So you're going to have that like continuity in the type of unit that you're going to be at for like, you know, six years essentially from, from regiment time onto your command and some staff time before you, you try to go back. If you go light or airborne though, you better plan on going SF because uh, your company command time is going to be sitting in a Bradley and uh, it will not be fun. It will be hot and you'll be at, you know, post down south named for traders. So, you know, you don't want to end up there. Is that true, though? Is that really how they're doing it? Is that mm-hmm. if you do light, you do mech or vice versa? Yeah. Yeah. So I had my mech time taken care of. My It's mech or wheeled. I had that taken care of uh, as a PL. And so the units that I had available to me for command were light or airborne. And one of the reasons I was uh, generally afraid was um, 2nd Brigade uh, became a striker unit at Carson. So Carson doesn't have any light formations anymore. It's just striker and mech um, because they want to have officers with a whole bunch of experience. Now, people say that, and then you have individuals that have done nothing but light. I think like, for instance, uh, General Tegmeyer now, I think he was at Lewis um, as a company commander, and I think he was striker. But before that, I think he was at the 82nd. I think he was at regiment a whole bunch of time, obviously. Then he was at the 82nd for battalion command. I don't know where he is now, but he has like the back half of his entire career is all airborne. Um, so you'll find generals like advocating for stuff. And it's like you look at their record. and It's like some of them have only ever done like mech and then some have only ever done airborne. So it's not like branch has been uh, consistent with making sure people are getting the full spectrum of, of infantry. I guess striker isn't too bad, though. If you're going to do mech, might no, be a striker. Yeah, I would absolutely you know, advocate for going striker before going met because you know you have to get out of the vehicle. Like, that whole death before dismount mentality, just be a tanker. Like, you can't tell me you're an infantryman if you say death before dismount and you tell me you love your Bradley because that means that you're just sitting in the turret being lazy. Like, get out. All right. Well. I hate Stetsons. Yeah, me too. I'll never forget that when I was a second lieutenant... Uh, when I get promoted to the first lieutenant by my my cav, my sco, he asked me where my Stetson was, and I just told him I didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I got negatively counseled for not having one. So um, when I see people, like, don't you have your Stetson in the back there? Uh, I, I feel like you did at one point. Mine is trashed. I, I emptied out my uh, storage I have, unit. I don't have that. any Stetson. You're probably oh. looking at like my, uh, my class A, like, class yeah. A hat. Your weird hat. Yeah, I I chuck my mine's in a dump somewhere in uh in in Virginia. I got my beret back there, and then like my army like uh, class A hat, which is still uh, has F A colors on it. It's still not going on. Have I made it uh <laughs> medcore colors yet? Gross! That weird maroon. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up. Um, apply for the scholarship, and tell your buddies too. All right. You guys have a good one. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Later.